Yo, what's up? It's me. I'm back again. For, I don't know what name or number episode this is, but thank you for listening. Um, This week is going to be a little bit different because I front-loaded and recorded a bunch of episodes at once and then did my guest episode with Eric and then didn't have the time or book anybody to do this episode. So it's going to be sort of a uh, some sort of vegetable casserole here. Uh, like one of those things where you got a lot of different items in your refrigerator or sometimes they're on top of your refrigerator and them things are going soft and you need to cook them. So you just throw them in a pot with some, some water or veggie stock, whatever you got, and then make it happen. So this is going to be one of those things where I make it happen. Um, last week I was on vacation And that was glorious, and I had a really great time. So I'll be talking about my vacation. I'll be talking about the books that I'm reading. I'll be talking about what I've been writing and sharing things that I've been reading with you. Um, And yeah, that's what I'm going to be doing this episode. But first, I want to get into Untoppable Bops, which is that new segment that I premiered, I think, last week. Songs that I find to be the absolutely most divine um, toe tapping, foot stomping, snapping, all that sort of stuff. Um, so I'm going to take a little break and then come back to you with my untoppable bop for the week. All right. So this week's untoppable bop goes out to the band Totally Enormous Extinct Dinosaurs. Um, And that's a name right there. That is a name, folks. And the song that I've been listening to over and over and over and over and over again is called Don't You Forget About Me. And this is my untoppable bot because it's like a multi-layered song and it has two very distinct parts. There's a part in the beginning that sounds very like ethereal, angelic. It's like um, the sort of background vocals of like someone starting a sort of kind of Christmas carol vibe of like those undulating O noises or like ooh noises that come in that sort of like Christmas carol kind of music. Um, and then someone's singing in this very delicate falsetto about um, what sounds like a breakup and like asking, you know, who loves you better? And this person is singing to someone that's moved on, I suppose. And they're trying to perhaps reignite something or make them reconsider leaving the singer who is, or the speaker in this song. Um, So it starts with that, like, voice, and then it continues there for a little bit, and then suddenly in the middle, there's this, like, fucking sick guitar riff that comes in. It's sort of, like, in the background for a little bit, but then it starts to come in, it comes in heavy, and it's just, like, the solo of somebody just, like, fucking going hard hard but it's like a faint solo and then it like rises and rises and rises and then the beat drops and then like the the meat of the song the funk comes in and that like funk is like ooh, like when I first listened to this song I skipped it because of that ethereal part it sounds really beautiful but it's just like not the thing that I was in the mood for that week um and then I was at work I couldn't skip it I my hands were busy and I let it play through. And when that like, when the funk comes in, I was like, ooh, oh, oh my God. Like, excuse me. How dare I, how dare I underestimate this song for going so fucking hard on me like that? It It's just like such a good song. I would play it, but I'm not trying to get like sued or like have Spotify or whoever bring my podcast down. So. I'm just going to tell you to go listen to it. It's on Spotify. It's on Apple Music. It's on uh, YouTube as well. Uh, If you're looking for it on YouTube, the cover art is a person wearing what appears to be um, some medieval armor that's like silvery. Um, And yeah, I just play that song. It's really good. I swear to God. It's so good. That's my Untoppable Bob for the week. Um, 
now we're moving on to the reading section of this podcast. What am I reading? What am I writing? What am I thinking about? What am I talking about? Um, what am I talking about? <laughs> it's always a really good question to ask me. Um, so yeah, I'm still reading Aristoteles Gramaya's Kingdom and Amalia. And it's glorious. While I was on vacation, I was chilling on my brother's deck, reading this book in the sunlight and the breeze and catching that sweet, sweet Florida air. Uh, so yes, I have been reading this book and it's really good. So I'm going to read a couple poems from it to you. Ah, there we go. Some light. This book is dealing a lot with grief um, and what appears to be familial death. So a lot of death in the family for this person. This speaker in a lot of these poems. This one that I'm going to start reading is called Small Letter. Do not go. This day, the red of the bridges, my little, stay beside me over the ruins of San Francisco. Go, but do not, but do not go from me, my one, my love, my very kin who I lash with in our sleep every night. My dream beside your dream for a year. Wrecking ball despedida, wreck the great rooms in my chest and take my last song. But do not leave me on this earth, my one without my one. How would the hand ever live if it knew it would never braid your hair again or hold your face? It would get up and walk away forever then. One by one, my breasts would go out looking, a procession of homeless dogs or clouds. That ending really gets me, especially that line about, you know, what would the hand do if it we're never to braid your hair again. Ah, oh, God. I think something so seemingly minuscule and simple and something that is sort of like a passing intimacy between people of like having somebody braid your hair just hits in a way in that poem with such gravity that like, fuck, what if that person wasn't there to braid my hair anymore. You know, that's like a real intimacy, especially between women of color, that I feel like I want to see described more and discovered and explored more in poetry. So yeah, that poem's really great. Uh, let's see. I'll read this other one, Night. I really like this poem. This is Night for... A boy, Kalita. Night, loose of its blue skin, scattered with goats, black and white, across its dark. Flat fields beside the kitchen, singing with fires not enormous as the kerosene stoves skirt the kettles in flames. There will be this night, this night sung to by the ox who, in my sleep, is extraordinary sound. On the edge of this town, my boy sleeps in a dirt room. Beneath the dirt, the candles dim in the light. I am not far, not far from the cemetery, starred with his teeth. Compass blood pushed me out of bed to pass small houses of my cousins who breathe as their children dream together on this, our land, spelled with the blood of mothers and uncles. A boy, tonight I cannot tell you from the dirt or the stone in any shoe that rolls beneath me like a trick. If I stand in the middle of this red and crumbling road as the wind blows against me in the open air, my prayer is for some small piece of my body to fall and fall away. Again, my dark will be untellable from yours. Untellable is, oof. God. I love the way poets find words. Not just use them, but find them. 
Like, who would think to say untellable? So good. Um, yeah, so I've been reading that book of poetry. I've also been listening to um, The Collected Schizophrenias by, um, let me get this author's name right. The Collected Schizophrenias by Esme Ujin Yang. I think that's how you say it. Esme Ujin Yang. Um, and that is a book about the author who was diagnosed with schizophrenia or a schizoaffective disorder and it's a collection of personal creative non creative nonfiction essays about uh personal cultural historical perceptions of schizophrenia how people with that diagnosis have been treated and how it differs from other more stigmatized mental illnesses like bipolar disorder Um, so the author of this book was initially diagnosed as bipolar, um, and then that diagnosis was changed, of course, to schizoaffective disorder. Um, and so this book is about that and about the stigma. Again, I have been reading a lot of books on mental illness and mental health and just trying to figure out how people deal with the stigma, I guess, is a real point of interest for me, um, And I think schizophrenia is a big, big one for us in a culture where we are fascinated with true crime and serial killers, especially the ones with those big diagnoses of like bipolar or schizophrenic, schizophrenia. Those ones where we equate them with violent people like mass shooters, um, serial killers, mass murderers, stuff like that, people that like have these disorders have these diagnoses and they are on the edge and it only will take one little thing to push them off and that's sort of the way that we perceive schizophrenia in our culture now um and so i think that this book brings some humanness to it and also deals with some cases that are blurry i think very blurry there's one in particular that i don't want to spoil because it i listened to this book at work and it crushed me oh my god it crushed me Um, I had read a similar story about a young boy who was like threatening to kill his mother about nine years old before without having read that part of the book and I was thinking to myself like I wonder what his diagnosis is and then this book deals with a child that was very similar Um, and then what happens after that and it's just oh it's gut punching so I'm listening to that book on audible shout out to audible um actually i think audible is owned by amazon so no no shout out to them if you like audiobooks you should get uh like the audiobook app from libraries so the one that i have is called something or other that i can't remember um i'll put in the description of this podcast and it's like you just borrow audiobooks from the library and it's completely free there's no cost to anything you get it for I want to say 16 days and you return it at the end of those days if you need more time just like any library book you ask for more time and it's really cool so yeah no shout out to audible shout out to libraries support your libraries support your local indie bookstores um but yeah i had a free trial of audible so i'm listening to that book on there shout out to free trials that's where it's really at when you sign up for free trials, make sure you go into your calendar immediately after and put cancel XYZ at least three days before you're going to be charged on your card. That's what I do. It works every single time. Every single time. If I don't do it, then I fucking forget. And then I got like a $40 goddamn charge or something on my card that I don't want. So do that. It will save you so much heartbreak and so much money that you would rather spend on other things um so yes i'm reading i'm reading that collected schizophrenia's book and also still listening to shirley jackson's um the haunting of hill house this has been really great um but yeah so i need to take another little break and i'm going to be back to talk about my vacation and where i went and what i did and what i talked about and felt during that time So, 
Um, before I get into vacation stuff, I just want to say that I have some slightly bad news, and that is that my tarantula, Della Champagne, passed away before I went on vacation, um, and it was a really sad day for me. I um, had been watching him for a couple of days. He seemed very slow, like not really himself. Um, he had gone from being very active to pretty much hiding in his burrow for days. Um, and then he came out and was just like in a corner by himself for a little bit. And I just didn't think much of it. I was very busy going about my day. You know, I made sure he had uh, water and he hadn't eaten in like a few weeks. And they can go for months without eating. So I figured he was in primo. I was just going to, you know, go about my business and do what I got to do. Um, but then I checked in on him after about the second day of him not moving and you know, just prodded him with a paintbrush, which is what I do when I want to see how he's feeling. Um, and he didn't move. And I did what I always do when stuff like that happens is I panic and I start Googling like crazy. And I did that. Um, and he, I read a bunch of things. It was just like, sometimes they don't move. Sometimes they don't respond to stimuli. Um, as long as they're like, abdomen is still plump and if they're still looking like they have color and if they have water and food and stuff like that they should be fine so I walked away from it and was just like I'm sure he's fine I just gotta calm down um and then I came back to him the next day he was still in the same spot and I was like okay this isn't good um so I prodded some more and then I opened up his enclosure and tried to like pick him up and turn him over to see if maybe he is dehydrated and the way that his body felt was just like he was definitely dead and there's no ifs ands or buts about it and I know it might sound really weird for some people but I totally cried over it I really loved Ella he was such a joy in my life um, and it sucks that he's not here anymore I mean he's here physically because I preserved him in a jar um, which a lot of keepers do, so it's not that weird. Um, so I still have him. He's preserved, but I wish that I had like my, my little, my little son, my little spunky baby back with me. But instead, I have a new tarantula that I got yesterday, November 3rd. And this tarantula's name is Delphine Sade, Delphine Sade, um, of the house Champagne. And she is just with me for one day. So she's a little bit skittish. She's not really sure what to make of anything. She is hiding behind her leaves. Um, it's still really early. So she'll probably come out and play around a little bit more later. But right now she is hiding. Um, and I'm just giving her space to do what she got to do. I'm not trying to pressure anybody to do anything. Um, I'll probably try and feed her within the next couple of days and see how she feels. If she's not with it, then I'll give her some more time and then feed her probably when I have her for a week or so. Yeah, so she is gorgeous. She's so beautiful. She's also an Arizona blonde because I just love that breed. I love them so much. Um, at the expo that I went to, there were a lot of keepers that had more old world tarantulas, which I'm not looking for. I want a new world for sure. And I want... Um, ones that are definitely more docile I couldn't I found a couple curly hairs that I wanted but they were unsexed and I uh found I think one rose hair that was just too expensive um but yeah I have decided that when I go to get tarantulas again I'm going to ask like a fucking ton of questions just so I can avoid going through when I went through Adela which is that someone told me that she was that he was female and he turned on to be male and the males die really soon. So, yeah. I would just like to avoid that going forward. But yeah, so everybody say hello to Delphine. Hi, Delphine. She's still hiding. I'm going to try and drop a worm in there and see if she comes to get it. But we'll see. Um, yes, yeah, so what I want to do. I want to talk about my vacation, which was a very short vacation, honestly. But it was just what I needed. So I went to Florida. I went to Florida to visit my brother. Um, he lives in a part of Florida that I'm not going to say for his protection. 
because I don't know who's listening to this. I don't know if the feds are watching, you know what I'm saying? Don't want the feds to know where my brother lives. Um, but yeah, I went to go visit him in Florida. It was gorgeous. Uh, I flew for the first time in probably 23 years. 23, 24 years. Um, yeah, the first time I ever got on a plane was to go to Disney with my family. And I remember that flight. The only thing I remember about it was that for some reason we were allowed to eat on the flight and we had cooked carrots. Um, and so I ate these cooked carrots. I thought that the texture was disgusting and the flavor was just not what I wanted out of a carrot. And so I threw them up on the plane. I believe I threw up on myself, actually. Um, and my little brother, who was two or so at the time, had found, I guess, somebody else's, one of our uh, little chopsticks. We had these Rugrats chopsticks that were orange, like the carrots. And I think he saw that and was like, I want to eat something orange too. And ate the chapstick and then threw that up. So we were a delight to have on a plane with us. Um, but yeah, I flew for the first time in a long time. And I was sick over it oh oh my god you guys I was so anxious I was so terrified the day the days before I was going to leave I was trying to like eat trying to make sure I was okay because of other situations in my life where I endure a lot of stress and like need to take care of myself um but I just like could not I tried to eat breakfast the day of my flight and the food was just like nah um so I put it in (laughs) I put it in my bag that I was going to check at the airport. Completely forgot about it. It made it its way through whatever checking they do at the airport. And was just like in my bag for the majority of my trip. But yeah, I flew with Delta. Um, and it was... Uh, I had a layover in Atlanta, which was fine. Um, Atlanta's kind of like... The airport in Atlanta is kind of a mess, but... Um, there are a lot of gorgeous, beautiful, stunning, hot, sexy lesbians there. Because um, you know I was on Tinder during that time. You know I was. I was on Tinder. I was flirting and matching. And I still have matches from Atlanta on my phone that I talk to. Um, just in case I'm a little, you know, thirsty, a little parched. Um, but yeah, I flew to Florida. And I made it alive which was a miracle for me I was convinced that the plane was going to go down and I was going to die and I was like fuck I don't even have you know my brother on my life insurance policy yet and he's gonna I'm gonna die and he's not gonna get a penny um so that's what I did today I put my brother and my goddaughter my niece on my life insurance policy because that's what adults do isn't that right and don't find out that I got life insurance and try some shit with me because I'm still out here hustling still out here driving trying to get trying to get a bag as they say um but yeah landed in Florida it was I was shocked that you can kind of smell the salt in the air when you get there it's like a salty town a salty place um I spent a lot of time at the pool in his apartment his apartment complex, spent some time at the beach, getting my toes all sandy, getting my feet soaked in ocean water, getting my body all wet and stuff, and it was really nice. Um, I did a lot of reading, did some writing, I wrote some weird poems about sex and asthma. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I live in a city that has notoriously poor air quality, and so getting to go somewhere where the quality was much higher um, in like in a, in a city where almost everybody drives there. Like in Pittsburgh, there's way more of a commute culture. There's lots of buses, um, lots of public transport that isn't that great. Um, but in Florida, I feel like a lot of people drive way more. And the air quality is still really good. Like I felt that I wasn't having as much trouble breathing as I usually do when I'm here in Pittsburgh. Um, Yes, I was writing about that because I was moved by that ability to breathe with ease. 
So I'm still looking at Delphine to see if she came out from hiding, but she hasn't yet. Delphine, it's me, your mother. Um, yes. Okay, so Florida air quality is really great. The ocean was beautiful. Um, I got back some some seashells. That's hard to say. Seashells to put into the jar that I preserved Della in. Um, so he's nestled in this very beautiful sea se- oh. <laughs> sea shell. It's called an angel wing shell, which I thought was just so fitting. Um, so I propped him up on that thing. Put a couple other really cute ones that are like purpley in there with him. Um, and yeah, I had a great time in Florida. I got to hang out with my brother and my goddaughter who was born recently. Um, and she is the most beautiful baby I've ever seen in my whole life. I'm just going to say it. She's she's the one. She is obsessed with my tattoos. I have this tattoo of the fig on my hand. And she was trying to eat it. <laughs> it was so cute. She loves to eat lemons. Like, she straight up just eats lemons raw. She just, like, sucks on them and tears off the flesh with her little gummies. Oh, my God. She is so cute. Oh, goodness. Um, yeah, I watched a lot of horror movies with my brother. Um, and I also, oh, I watched Succession for the first time, which I'll get into that later. But I need to talk more about my brother and stuff. Yeah, we hadn't seen each other in about five years. So it was good to catch up and reconnect and to meet his girlfriend for real, for real this time. I met her one time before they left to go to Florida, um, and I just, like, needed a ride somewhere, and she was in the car, and we didn't really get any time to talk to each other. Um, So, yeah, getting to hang out with them both was really nice. Getting to sleep in and not work was beautiful. Like, I stepped away from all of my work stuff a little bit. Like, I did one or two things for autostraddle stuff, um... Which, I don't know if I said that on this podcast, but I write for Autostraddle now, so look out for Dana Janae on things that you think are funny and hot or sexy or whatever, because um, I write for them now, too. Yeah, um, we watched a little bit of Jeepers Creepers, which I know. Uh, Victor, what is it? Victor Salva, who is the creator of that, is a fucking pedophile and a piece of shit, Um so we watched a little bit of it knowing that he is not a good person, um, which I I know is problematic. I know it's not good. But for us, our, we have such a fun time watching that movie and laughing at the kills and also being kind of scared by it. It's like a real staple in our relationship of just like watching that movie and cracking the fuck up at the ridiculous death. Um, so we watched a little bit of it, but I was too tired to finish it. So I went to bed. We watched, um, we watched Ma together. And that was also another one where we just cracked the fuck up forever over it. Um, we watched The Intruder. That's the one with Michael Ely and Megan Fox. No, no. Megan Good, the black one. Yes. And Dennis Quaid, who was, uh, Dennis was acting up in there. He was acting up, not acting, acting up. Like, your boy was, uh, man, things have changed since the parent drop, huh? That movie, it seems so effortless. You know, he was, like, charming and kind of young and handsome. And now he's just, uh, God, stalking black women and shooting deer willy-nilly. Uh, yeah, so we had, like, a really fun time together. Um, that was really great to reconnect with him. And I plan on doing vacationy stuff there more often because it's really beautiful. I want to go back in the summer so I can have more time in the sun and get more tan. Because Pittsburgh out here have me looking very yellow, and I don't like it. I'm convinced that somebody's in my apartment right now, even though I know that there's not. But I just feel like there's somebody behind me. Because I'm sitting at my desk. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, so I went on vacation. And it was great. I'm back now. 
I don't want to be back. It kind of sucks to be back if we're being for real, for real. Um, but yeah, that's life, I guess. Um, what else? What else that I've been doing? Haven't been doing? Um, yeah, I'll talk briefly about writing for Autostraddle. So I got this job with them probably about a month ago. I think I was officially onboarded at the end of September um, and started writing, publishing a couple of things in October. Um, the first thing I published with them was a little film piece about 10 low-key horror movies to watch with your sensitive butch date. Um, and this was based sort of kind of on a true story about um, a woman that I dated that I would uh, invite over to watch horror movies with or sometimes I would just text her a movie and tell her to watch it and then we would text about it um, and sometimes I, was, I would watch with her wherever I was too. Um, so yeah, the the Erica that appears in the the article is based off of her. Um, which, let me read you an excerpt from that because I think that'll be fun. So the first movie I have on here is Carrie from 1976. Because I feel like if you're going to try and get down with a lady, you don't want to have a movie on that's like pure gore and like torture you want something that's going to be a little bit chill something laid back that's still kind of spooky enough to get somebody jumping and like maybe trying to grasp for your arm or whatever so the first one i think about in one of my favorite movies ever is carrie so i said carrie is a great movie to watch alone with a friend or with erica who has arrived with the spice nut medley she made herself still warm enough to fog up the tupperware container sissy spacex stars as a girl many of us identify with wide-eyed odd, devastated by the onslaught of a period, and fascinated by the paranormal. Both of you are sure to comment on Betty Buckley as a hero, Miss Collins. Miss Collins is a very stereotypical gay gym teacher, with perfectly waved hair even when delivering verbal smackdowns, and cheekbones sharp enough to cut glass, Miss Collins is a heartthrob that attempts to protect Carrie in every situation. The deaths in Carrie aren't particularly bloody or gory. A film made in the 70s, a lot of the supernatural direction is a little laughable. In the end, Carrie gets to haunt the people that tormented her, and isn't that everyone's dream? So that's a little bit of that uh, excerpt from that piece that I did, um, that I had so much fun writing. It was really fun. Um, I love to talk about horror, as evidenced by the previous episode, and I hope to be able to talk more and more about it as I go on. Um, I also wrote another piece for them uh, called Which Lesbian or Bisexual Vampire from History Can Hashtag Get It um, and the lesbian or bisexual vampires that I have on that list are of course at the top my fave Elizabeth Bathory. And then we got Countess Maria Zaleska, a.k.a. Dracula's daughter. We got Carmilla from the novella. And Tara Thornton from True Blood. Miriam Blaylock, of course, of course. And honorable mention goes to Queen Akasha from Queen of the Damned, as portrayed by the one and only Aaliyah. Ugh, God, she... Listen, when we talk about vampires as, like, very sexual and often queer or sexually transgressive beings that's that's the image that comes to mind of like this sort of mm, I'm shimmying my shoulders in a way that's very suggestive but something about the teeth and the eyes is what sells it for a vampire for me it's all about the fang and the eye action going on that that can convey to man woman person that like your mind, you've invited me in and now I own you sort of energy, which is like, oh yes, give it to me. I love it. Love it. Um, yeah, so I wrote that for them as well. I'll be writing lots more for them in the future. Um, so look out for some of that stuff. Um, if you don't know what Autostraddle is, I probably should have led with that. It is a media site that features work for 
uh, lesbian, bisexual, and queer women and non-binary individuals. Um, and spotlights the things that matter to us as opposed to a lot of the media. It is around the LGBTQ community that really puts on blast with um, mostly wealthy, able-bodied, cisgender, white, gay men like to see. And so Autostraddle and other publications like it, like Bitch as well, are um, really great media outlets, um, journals that bring uh, opportunity and the ability to create content to voices that are often ignored. Um, And it's been a dream of mine to write for them for a very long time. So I'm so excited to do it. Um, I can't wait to do more stuff with them because I feel like so understood and so heard in that space. And that's rare for, you know, a black lesbian woman. Um, yeah, so I can't wait to do more of that stuff. What else am I doing these days? Oh, oh my God, I should talk about, um, events that I have coming up. Yes. So today, this is going to be released on Tuesday, November 5th. And on Friday, November 8th, I have a performance at Knights of Conroy. If you're in Pittsburgh, you should come out and see me at Knights of Conroy. Um, It's going to be a blast. I can't wait to read some poems and listen to some music by Karen and the Sorrows, who um, they're in town touring. um, And Karen graciously invited me to read some poems with her and the band. So I'm really excited for that. Um, yeah, so if you're in Pittsburgh for that, you should come out. If you're not, then you'll probably see pictures of me posted online as I perform. I got this really cute jumpsuit while I was in Florida, and I'll be wearing that because it makes my tits look awesome. So look out for me in that jumpsuit. Look out for them titties, them yitties. That's what I call tits that are, like, really, um, quite robust and particularly nice it's the titties, but with a Y at the front. So, yitties. Say it like that. Yitties. All right. <laughs> I need to take a break, but then I'll be back in a second to uh, close this thing out. Hi. I'm back. Um, yeah, before I close this thing out, I want to just say briefly about some stuff that I've been thinking about submission, um, particularly submission to literary magazines. Um, and the sort of burnout that comes from that. So I've been submitting to magazines and journals for about, consistently for about the last three years. Um, and I often do contest and, you know, manuscript, uh, contesty things like that. Um, as well as just submitting single or packages of poems, different people, as well as essays, creative nonfiction stories, stuff like that. Um, and sometimes I do really feel like I cannot do this another time. Like, if I have to fucking type up another short bio about myself and what I do and how I do it again, I am going to blow my brains out, sort of thing. And I think a lot of that tiredness comes from the fact that we have to do this in order to get our voices out there. And sometimes the the payout is absolutely nothing because you have to deal with submission fees that are like $30 at least. Um, sometimes if you're submitting single poems, you can get one that's like 15 Very rarely you'll get something that's like 2 to $5. Um, but yeah, it's tiring. It's really tiring. Um, and I know that other people have dealt with that too. And so I want to just say very briefly about how I deal with that burnout um, and the biggest way to do it is to just like stop stop submitting for a little bit um, focus on writing focus on going out and getting experiences that you want to write about part of the vacation that I went on was finding an experience that I wanted to write about um, I can't swim I have tried to learn for years I once had an ex try and teach me but I don't know if she was busy doing like tricks or something in the pool um, so I kind of taught myself but I don't still really know how to float at all. Um, 
So I went to Florida to do a lot of different things, but part of that was to find some stuff that I really wanted to learn to write about. Um, and what I wrote about was not what I was expecting to write about. I was expecting to write some very grand musings on the ocean and what it feels like to be covered in a body of water. But I ended up writing about desire and also, as I said earlier, asthma, which I think is also sort of another form of desire too, the desire to want to breathe easily, um, the desire for health and wellness, uh, especially when you're afflicted with something that is not of your own uh, doing, something that's not your fault necessarily. Uh, so I went to Florida to write about something, and I wrote about that stuff, and I'm really happy to just take some time off and not have to worry about getting things published. You know, I'm something that I wrote is going to be published in late fall, early winter, and it'll be in print, and I'm really excited about that, but I also am full well up enough to just walk away from stuff, to just walk away from it completely, um, and take some time for myself to just calm down, readjust, go out, do more events, do more shows, do some workshopping with other people, as well as leading workshops for paid opportunities, which is always really awesome. But yeah, uh, that's one way that I deal with it. Another way is to be more meticulous about the research that I do into the journals I submit to. Um, That was a mouthful. What I said there was that I take some time to be more meticulous about sending work to journals um, and doing my research on those journals. Because sometimes it's like you go into Submittable, which is a common app website that writers use, and you see which ones have deadlines that are coming up. And I feel like a lot of us, especially myself, do not go very deep into the research of like, would this magazine fit my style of writing? Would, do they want a voice that's like mine? Usually I do submit to ones that are like, we want LGBTQ voices, we want black and brown voices, we want women, we want people of color, we want all of that stuff. Um, and that does increase the amount of submission acceptances that I get when I do my due diligence of, uh, as a writer of you know finding out what these people want to publish. Like the work that I'm getting published in winter, basically, um, is a magazine where I feel like a lot of this stuff is a little bit more experimental. So I sent two of my weirder poems to them, and I was like, I hope that these ones get picked up. And they totally did. Of like a package of five poems, I think, two of them got picked, and they were the ones that were like the weirdest, whether that was structurally or like the tone and voice of the poems. Um, the things that I put into them and the way that I styled them. And those were the ones that got published. And that's a really cool feeling when you do that research and you do that work and you pay attention to what people are looking for. And then you give them what they're looking for. And you get rewarded for it in some way. I'm like, I, I just can't wait to have a physical copy of something that I've written and have it be in print and have other people read it and look at it and touch it, and all that sort of really fun, cool stuff. Um, let's see, what else do I do when I get in that space? I honestly rely a lot on friends and writers and people that I know know what they're doing, um, and I ask for advice. I ask for eyes on the things that I'm writing. I ask for ears. I ask for a little bit of insight into what other people are going through as they do this whole thing of being a writer as a career, as a a fucking passion. Um, I have a friend that I talked about her novel on this podcast, but uh, Sarah Lane Smith, and I often end up sending her poems and I'm just sort of at my wits end with them. And I'm just like, well, where does this go? What do I do with it? What is it saying? What am I saying ever? You know, um, And I feel like we have very similar trains of thought. And so that's a person who I respect greatly and who always has something important to say, very tender or constructive in some way that I am more than happy to listen to. 
help me through these things. Um, so I often send stuff to her. I send stuff to many of my other friends. Um, and also people that are not necessarily friends, but people that I think are fucking awesome writers and that I want them to see something before I send it to big magazines um, or even little ones. I'm mostly sending to little, smaller journals. I did once, which I recommend doing this, I did once have a big, like, fuck it moment and I sent (laughs) a poem to Poetry, which is the bigger, sort of, like, huge New York-based poetry magazine. Um, And it took them about six months to reject me and it was the quickest most oddly worded rejection I've ever received in my whole life um and that really soured me on the experience of submitting to them I know that they get like what is it 50,000 submissions and they can't do like nice little ones for everybody that they don't um receive uh work from but it was still like I'd come off of getting a rejection that was so so sweet it was just like hey, we really loved reading your work. And while it's not a fit for this particular contest, we would love it if you submitted it to this thing, if you submitted it to this other thing that's not by us, but that it seems like it would be good for. Um, And it was like an honor to read your work. And I just like felt so awesome about that. That was such a nice thing to do. And they didn't have to do that. They could have done what poetry did. I wonder if I should even be saying the name of this magazine, but fuck it. Um... But yeah, sometimes it is good to just sort of wing it, to have such faith in yourself that you send something to somebody that you are like, this is a big, big deal. And for a moment, I'm believing in myself and saying, you know, I'm a big deal too. Like I am just as talented as the people that are featured in this thing as well. Um, And so I deserve to be here. And having that faith in yourself, like, I deserve to be here. I'm not an imposter. I'm not a fake. I know what I'm doing, and I deserve to have my work seen and heard by other people. Um, doing that sort of, like, sort of silly thing also really helped me. Because if I submit to them and I fail and they reject me, then every other rejection is going to feel less, like, less of a, less of a blow, I feel like. That was my sort of reasoning, which maybe sounds weird to other people, but it made sense to me at the time. Um, another thing that I suggest to people that are on submission burnout um, is to change up their style of writing. Um, start writing form. Start writing uh, things that are outside of your own style start reading things that are outside of your own style explore some other voices really um and see what you like see if see what you can learn from somebody else's work that's always such a good thing to do just like if you feel like the stuff that you're putting out isn't working see what you can learn from somebody else's work see what you can learn from what other people are doing in your field um because that's what everybody else does when scientists are you know doing their little uh experiments and stuff and things are going well what do they do they look to other people in their field to say like well this person did this experiment and this is what those results yielded and this person did this thing and that's what that yielded and i'm doing this thing how can i align my results with their results or how do i um how do the things that they're doing and the things that I'm doing connect? And what can I learn from those connections? Yeah, so I always recommend doing that for pretty much anything if you're having trouble with doing writing stuff. Of just like taking some time to step outside of your comfort zone and exploring things that you haven't before. Um, the poems that I wrote that got published recently were things that I was a little bit afraid to do. Um because I felt like it wasn't my style. It's not something that I felt comfortable doing. It was like, okay, I'm writing this thing and I'm so afraid to put it out because what if people don't understand? Well, I need to have like a little paragraph that's like, here, here's the guideline of how to read this poem. But I feel like readers are smarter than we give them credit for a lot of the times. So 
I um, stepped outside of that box that I put myself in and was rewarded for it. So I recommend that as well. Okay, enough of my rambling. I'm going to say goodnight to y'all. Next week I have, oh my God, I'm so excited. I have one of my really good friends in the podcast next week. Her name is Genevieve Barbie Turner. She's an illustrator. She illustrates under the name Killer Pancake um, and also streams a lot of her illustrating work on Twitch. Um, So I'm going to have her on the pod to talk about illustration and the things that she reads because she is like a voracious reader. She reads more than I do and that's saying a lot. Um, So yeah, I'm going to have her on the podcast to talk about her stuff and her life. It's going to be so fucking cool. I'm really excited. Can't wait to talk to Genevieve. All right, I'll be back. Thank you for listening to the Fig Widow podcast. As I said before, next week we're having Killer Pancake, aka Genevieve Barbie Turner on the podcast to talk about illustration, art, and the media that she is consuming at the moment. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at bell.bivdeho. That's bell.bivdeho. You can follow me on Twitter at figwidow, F-I-G-W-I-D-O-W. And if you have Facebook still, you can hit me up on there at Dana Janae Poet. I will be, as I said before, at Knights of Conroy on Friday, November 8th at 7 p.m. for an event with Karen and the Sorrows. So you can catch me there. I'll be reading some Spidey poems because I feel like it's still the season for that. Um, Spooky season doesn't end until November 30th, just to let people know. And... You can subscribe to my newsletter and my blog on my website at figwidow.com. If you want to hear more about writing and editing and revising and all things related to creative stuff. But until then, save spiders and eat fruits.